Hello everyone, this is uh, Stavros Yanuka welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words. Uh, during our last episode, we discussed how national support for vocational training can uh, empower youth through jobs. In this episode, we explore the role that community support can play uh, in providing youth with opportunities to learn and work. My guest on this podcast is Dolores Dixon, uh, who is the executive director of CAMFED Canada and was formerly uh, the executive director of CAMFED West Africa, where she spent over 15 years uh, as an international development practitioner. Uh, CAMFED, the Campaign for Female Education, uh, is a high-impact initiative that supports girls in impoverished communities uh, in sub-Saharan Africa to go to school uh, and uh, also increasingly helps young women uh, to step up as leaders and entrepreneurs uh, in their communities. Uh, during her tenure as Regional Executive Director for Camford West Africa, Dolores guided the uh, Ghana program to grow substantially in reach uh, and influence. She was part of a high-level dialogue with the Ministry of Education uh, that allowed Camford's approach to supporting girls' education uh, to be replicated uh, uh, nationwide. For this reason, uh, in September 2017, Dolores was uh, promoted uh, and, and asked to uh, take on a new position as executive director uh, for CAMFED in Canada to lead, essentially, fundraising uh, for CAMFED in Canada. Now, in the interest of full disclosure, I should say that the founder of CAMFED, um, Anne Cotton, was recognized in 2013 uh, with the Wise Prize uh, for Education. This episode was recorded in Accra, Ghana, during the regional Wise at Accra event. Uh, and with that, I bring you Dolores Dixon. Dolores Dixon, welcome to Wise Words. Thank you, Star Wars. Uh, Dolores, you're now the executive director of Camford in Canada, but you've had a very, very interesting journey uh, to, to get to your current, uh, current position. I think our listeners would really love to hear your story about how you got involved uh, with the campaign for female education in uh, in Africa, and what took you from uh, Ghana, which is your home country, to uh, to Canada? Sure. Yeah. So basically, I grew up in Ghana. I was born in Ghana. I come from a family of seven children. I'm the last child, and my parents were the first in their generation in their families to ever go to school. Yeah. So they were quite fortunate. And my mother is a midwife. Okay. And my father was a publisher's representative. Yeah. So um, his focus was education. And he always said that education is the only asset he can ever give to us. Yeah. Because um, he personally will not be able to build houses or leave us any assets. And education would be the asset he'll be able to give yeah. to us. So he really focused yeah. on our education. And my mother, she was an, a phenomenal woman. She is a midwife, yeah. and she went back to her community. Yeah. She set up um, a maternity home and trained all the yeah. birth attendants, yeah. the traditional birth attendants. So she was very in inspirational. She, she's yeah. someone who really 
focuses on community work, using yeah. her own opportunity to create opportunities for others. Yeah. So we've been brought up in a family where education is always a priority yeah. and where um, my mom was a, a wonderful role model for us yeah. as as girls. So yeah. um, when I started off, I attended all my school in Ghana and then did my master's degree at the University of Manchester in the UK. Yeah. And after that, I felt that I needed to come back to Ghana yeah. to be able to contribute and do something. And just around that time, I found comfort. I was looking to work with an organization that was doing yeah. um, something back in Ghana to change lives. And when I found comfort, it just kind of linked up with yeah. all my passion and all my experiences. The fact that it was focused on education yeah. and education for girls, and that yeah. made a whole difference for me. So um, I came to um, Ghana about um, 10, 11 years ago from the University of Manchester to set up Comfort Ghana. Yeah. And really, it was a very exciting opportunity to start from the scratch where we had the chance to really build up this program yeah. with a few girls coming from another program that we um, picked up from. So that really was um, my starting point with Comfort. Yeah. And since then, we've grown <clears> the um, organization. And now we have, um, last year, we had um, 32,000 girls through one grant yeah. going through. And so it's been a very exciting journey. Yeah. And um, for me um, now, there's is another transition opportunity to go into Canada and start up Comfort Canada. So it's yeah. history repeating itself, yeah. um, using the same kind of um, excitement and energy that yeah. we got with starting Comfort Canada, okay. um, Ghana to start Comfort Canada. Yeah, T tell tell us a little bit about your your experience in 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 Ghana. What uh, what objectives did you have? as you set up CAMFED here, uh, how did you approach the, the challenge of getting more girls into, into the education system? So starting off CAMFED Ghana was really exciting. There, there are so many girls out there who needed this kind of opportunity. And so um, we started off with working very closely with the communities. And yeah. I think that's what is unique <clears throat> about CAMFED's model that it's a model that embeds itself within the community, works very closely with the community. But also another interesting part of the model is working um, long-term, really yeah. investing in a long-term relationship with communities and the girls. Yeah. So um, I've had the privilege of <laughs> working with girls who were 12 years and now they're 22 years. Yeah. So you can see the transition and the yeah. transformation that goes on with the girls, their families, and the communities. Um, so for me, that was the exciting part of it, um, going into the communities and really listening yeah. to what the communities are saying yeah. about what can work for girls. So not going in with our own prejudices or preconceptions, yeah. Yeah. but going in recognizing that the solutions lie within the communities. Yeah. So that's been um, a very interesting part of the program. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think that that's the, a unique feature of of the CAMFED approach, or, or maybe not. I mean, others are, are I'm sure emulating it, but it is it is a key feature of of uh, the CAMFED approach. Mm -hmm. This uh, intense community engagement, mm -hmm. trying to understand what the practical constraints are, mm -hmm. rather than just assuming that that you know people are 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 doing this out of 
you know, malice or, or ill intent, mm -hmm. you, you go and you look for the practical constraints and you, then you try and persuade essentially that it's for the benefit, not just of the girls, but the family and the community as yeah. a whole. Definitely, yeah. definitely. And that's what um, makes it, and I think makes it sustainable as well. Yeah. So um, how we select girls, we recognize that the communities know the girls who best need the support to go to school. Yeah. So once the community starts off by engaging and identifying and supporting the girls that they feel yeah. need the support the most, it means that the communities are invested in the girls' success. Yeah. And so they really... And put out their best foot forward, ensure that the girls stay yeah. in school complete, and every girl who completes is a celebration yeah. for the community. So this brings the community on board to really yeah. find solutions that would keep girls in school. Can you can you share with us a, a, a couple of examples just to sort of bring this to life in terms of how how you engage, you know, which girls are are sort of identified, what kind of criteria the community uses and then what do you do to sort of then uh, engage in that sort of transformation process? Yeah. Because every community is very unique, um, yeah. what we do is we work with the community leaders yeah. and um, they come up with which um, group or which team can best represent them in yeah. terms of how they select the girls. So in some communities we might have um, representative from the Fisherman's Association, if it's a fishing village, mm -hmm. they might have um, a religious leader, they might have, um, um, a gov they would have a government representative, etc. on that team. Yeah. And that team then um, act actually oversees the program and supports the program yeah. in each community. So for example, I've been to selection, commi com um, commi selection committee meetings where the community members sit together and decide um, what is our criteria for identifying need because need is so relative. Mm -hmm. So you might find that um, there would be a community that would say if this person is harvesting a bag of uh, maize, mm -hmm. then that's, that family needs to be on this program. Yeah. Or if somebody has a, a goat, then we think that's person is well enough to be able to support their I own see. child. Okay. So they come up with their own criteria yeah. and then select the children. And some yeah. of the interesting things that we've seen is that once they select um, students to get onto our scholarship program, there might be other students that still need the support that Comfort yeah. cannot provide. Yeah. But what you realize is that because of that connection and the empathy that's generated through the whole process, some community members step up and support all these other children oh, as okay. well. So we realize that yeah. we might be able to support, say, 20, 30 children in a school. But the next moment you see the community supporting an, an extra 10 children who they yeah. feel definitely need to be on that support but yeah. have not been. So, and then there's so many challenges that go up alongside. There might be children who are living with an aged um, grandmother. Yeah. There might be a child who is coming from a large family. And so, or the parents is old, or yeah. there might be children who are, or specific segments of the community where children seem to be married off. And yeah. so the community leaders wanting to stop that action will try and encourage children from that particular segment of the community to be on the program yeah. so that they will be able to get access yeah. to it. So then that's, that's a very, very interesting approach. And, and do you, 
do you run your own schools? Do you support the community schools? Both? What, what's, what's the model, the, the education model? So we work to embed our program within, within the system. The so yeah. we work with government schools only yeah. and work very closely with the government. So right from the national level where we work with national governments, we work all the way from the national level down to yeah. the community level. Yeah. And at every level, we engage with them on so many issues. So on at government level, for example, we work with government on policy. So with the learning that we get from yeah. working with communities, we share that yeah. with governments and help to um, design or input into government policies that yeah. are coming out, education yeah. sector plans and all that. Yeah. So that's how we work to yeah. make sure that we're not only working on the ground, but we're also bridging the policy with the yeah. practice. And, and, you know, presumably you have, I mean, you have an uh, enormous amount of insight to offer given that, you know, you, you cover almost every part of that, mm -hmm. that chain all the way down to, you know, what works or doesn't work in individual villages, rural communities. And then, how does that get then translated into national policy? Yeah. Uh, so that's that's a, I mean that's a really really intriguing intriguing model. Yeah. Um, and how? What are some of the the challenges that you that you've you've had to overcome both at the you know at the grassroots level, but then also at the at the policy making level? So basically at the grassroots level, I think that's some of the challenges that the enormous need. I mean, when you go down to the ground, you realize that the main reason or the substantive reason for which a lot of girls are not going to school is yeah. poverty. And yeah. as much as it might disguise itself in so many forms like yeah. child marriage and um, pregnancy, transactional sex and all that, when you realize that once you are able to bring in the financial resources to support students, children to go to school, girls to go to school, you do get a lot of girls coming through. We worked in um, a school where when we started um, in Form 3, for example, yeah. which is the final year of school, there were about three girls and then there were almost about... Um, 30 boys. Yeah. So you would think, where are the girls? Or are there no girls in this community? What's happening? But when you take in a scholarship program, you then see um, an increase in the, um, in the access that you've created for girls to be able yeah. to come into yeah. the school system. And by, I think, about three, four years after um, working in that particular school, we saw gender parity. We saw 50% boys, 50% mm. girls. So yeah. that was an incredible... Um, way to see that poverty is one of the biggest challenge. Yeah. And so the need is so great yeah. at that level. Um, when you come to the national level, I think one thing that might, might be one of the key challenges is bridging the policy with the practice. Yeah. Because sometimes we would have really good policies on the ground, on, on, on paper. On paper and, yeah. But when you go to the ground, for example, there isn't that, there's a disconnect, there isn't that understanding of what's going on. And so trying to yeah. bridge both. For example, that's um, a policy around re-entry for girls who get pregnant. Yeah. And um, it's a policy that's been set up. But getting... Um, schools and communities to understand that when a girl gets pregnant, they do have the right to go back into the school system. It's something that some yeah. people feel that once a girl gets pregnant, that's the end of her education. Wow. Yeah. So 
there needs to be a lot yeah. more to connect the dots with with the policy and what goes on in yeah. practice. Yeah, well, that's that's it's a fascinating challenge. Um, and how have you found, you know, being Ghanaian, being a woman, was that an advantage, disadvantage, a mix of, I mean, I can imagine situations where it is an advantage. I can imagine others where, you know, that they might be some, some issues. I mean, what's been your experience in that, in so, that regard? Personally, being Ghanaian, I think being Ghanaian is, is a huge advantage yeah. because that gives, um, creates that connection yeah. with the community. They yeah. do understand that you are here to understand them and yeah. you also get the nuance. And I think that's really kind of works um, as an advantage because you do get the nuance, you yeah. get the proverbs, you get the yeah. things that go along with it. Um, being a woman, um, also I think it's an advantage to the extent that it's... Yeah. Um, for, for, for speaking on issues relating to women, it really comes across as um, you are sharing a life story. You're yeah. sharing your own personal experiences, and so people get it. And for the girls themselves, I think it's motivating to see uh, a woman doing this. So yeah. I think that those are the advantages, but there definitely are challenges, yeah. um, especially... Um, been not having so many women sitting at um, leadership mm. and at leadership yeah. tables. Sometimes you get there and you're the only one and the only one challenging yeah. um, an issue. I remember we had conversations around mm. um, sexual reproductive yeah. health issues and yeah. whether the government, when we're talking about the re-entry policy and we had all men sitting, mostly men sitting yeah. at the table and they're saying, or don't you think if a girl goes back after being pregnant, it would influence other girls to also get pregnant? And that would um, no, send yeah. a message yeah. that we don't Th mind girls okay. yeah, yeah. being pregnant. Yeah. And so it's quite challenging to yeah. sometimes um, sit alone and be the only person sitting there championing these yeah. issues. Yeah. I also remember the same conversation where they were saying once the girl goes back, the girl should go back a year even though they've done the class okay. and because they would definitely have missed out on something and need um, to refresh. And yeah. I was trying to push that the girls need to start from, continue from where they left yeah. off. Yeah. So with all that, I think that it's some of the challenges is the fact that you sit there alone. You would love to have a lot more women yeah. on board yeah. supporting to yeah. advocate for these issues. No, abso absolutely. It, I mean, the, the, what's behind the question is that I've, I've ex I experienced myself that, you know, especially in, in, um, in, in developing countries or, or countries with a, a colonial legacy, including my, mm -hmm. the, the country where I'm from, uh, Cyprus, there's this kind of, uh, it's changing now, but, but there's this sort of, you know, fascination and obsession with the foreign experts. You know the wise men and women from overseas that are gonna uh, gonna explain you know your your problems and and tell you how to how to solve them. And look, in some instances, it, it is sometimes necessary to bring in people from outside with a fresh perspective. But it in some ways, what I'm encouraged by your example is that that there is a you know a, a recognition that hey, sometimes the expertise is is here. 
and we've got you know we've got our own good people that 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 can you know bring insight to bear and can can help address some of these challenges yeah and i totally agree with you and i think that's also another interesting part of comfort's model where we don't work with experts and we only work with um um, people who are local to yeah. the various countries. And I think it's also built in sustainability. I feel that the more insights you have, the more nuance you have, yeah. the more you're able to find solutions that yeah. are lasting and that are not necessarily superficial. So yeah. I think that this um, really bringing on board um, local people to, and recognizing the expertise that they bring really helps with creating yeah. that longevity for this program. Yeah. Now, one of, one of the things I, I remember that, uh, that your, uh, uh, your founder, um, Anne, Anne Cotson, was talking about when, uh, when, we, uh, uh, when Wise recognized her with the Wise Prize for, for Education was, um, I think at that point, you were just about to launch the mentorship program. Mm -hmm. Do you want to say, and that's a really, really interesting program in my view. Do you want to say a little bit about that and, and, and update, you know, our, our listeners in terms of how, how that program has grown, how it's, it's progressing, you know, what, what's been the experience and impact? So we have two um, programs. One is the teacher mentor program. One is the learner guide program. Yeah. So the teacher mentor program is taking, um, teachers who are actually government employees in the school and training them to support the children yeah. um, with psychosocial support and academic support. Because yeah. we know that children coming from very um, marginalized communities usually need some catch-up support or yeah. academically or might need um, support psychosocially um, considering that they might be dealing with issues at home yeah. that needs to be addressed. Um, we also then have the Learner Guide program. That's an exciting program of um, where we have our alumni network. So all the young women who've gone through a scholarship program that completed join our alumni network called Kama. Mm. And so once they join Kama, the ethos of Kama is to be able to use their education to change their communities, make an impact, yeah. and make a difference. So um, Kama members given back. Yeah. Um, is about car members going back into their communities and doing something different. Yeah. And so this program was designed along the fact that this was organically grown, where car members complete school, and while they're waiting, they go back into their schools, old yeah. schools, and support the academic performance of children. So yeah. the Learner Guide program was birthed from this particular idea. Yeah. And so we have young women as... Um, young as 18 yep. who've completed and go back into their school, form study groups. They are not teachers. They're not trained teachers. Yeah. So what they can do is to really encourage children to um, improve on their learning. Mm -hmm. We also developed a curriculum where, which is called My Better World, mm -hmm. which is um, kind of like a life skills curriculum which helps young people to know who they are, identify yeah. their strengths, their weaknesses, and really be introspective about what they can yeah. achieve with yeah. what skills they have. So the Kama members take them through this program. And then yeah. once they complete the program, they also help them to improve on the academics. And yeah. the program is doing amazingly well. Um, and this is being applied in, again, just to sort of remind uh, our listeners, the, this kind of 
what would be called, you know, soft skills mm -hmm. program is being applied in in marginalized communities. Exactly. Yeah. And so this program is um, in all our, in most of our schools, yeah. in all our countries. And I think the two things that this program is achieving is the high learning outcomes because yeah. by really encouraging the students to really identify their strengths they you can yeah. get students who for example a student who is good at maths can lead um, a group session for yeah. other students yeah. so that they can they can do yeah. so this peer learning that goes on so improving outcomes and we've seen that through this program another That's thing fantastic. is also yeah. Um, the Kama members themselves, these young women gaining the confidence yep. to be able to really mobilize um, other students to do this. And you can see that in their community. A lot of them are now taking teaching as a profession. Yep. Others are saying, this has helped me to speak up. This has helped me to gain confidence. So an 18-year-old who finished school and has the opportunity to do this really sees that these are skills that I need for my own personal future, yeah. as well as really kind of complementing how students um, do well in school as well. So no, that's that's it's an amazing program. And so, and how many alumni are, are enrolled at the moment on on the program? For um, for for this particular um, program, we actually have a hundred and twenty thousand young yeah. women in the alumni network. Wow. And for yeah. the Lena Guide program. Um, this is country specific, so I'm just giving those numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't, yeah. don't, don't worry about it. I didn't mean to put you on the spot with a, <laughs> with a numbers question. <laughs> um, that's that's uh, that's again a remarkable um, achievement. And now, of course, you're sort of one year into a new challenge, which is you're now the expat. You're you're in uh, based in Toronto, Canada. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about you know what are the objectives of Canfed Canada? What are you what are you hoping to achieve? So now we've set up um, our new office in Canada, yeah. um, and the objective is really to one to be able to look for um, opportunities to raise funds yeah. for the program um, in Africa, and then the second one is to kind of join our international team to. Um, look at um, ensuring quality assurance across yeah. board our program, ensuring we are um, aligning our um, organizational policies, etc. Yeah. So we would be basically looking for um, at, at this office for fundraising, but alongside advocacy at the international level, yeah. and then um, finally to ensure that we're working closely with our um, offices in Africa yeah. to ensure that we continue on delivering yeah. to the quality standards that yeah. we were known for. So yeah, that's, no, that's that's yeah. terrific. And how how are you sort of adjusting to the the changing role? What are what are the you know some of the again the challenges the, the that you're you're seeing aside from the weather in Toronto <laughs> during winter? Yeah. So um, I think basically I think it's been a very eye opening journey so far. I think one of the things that I noticed was the vast difference in terms of um, understanding of the issues in yeah. Africa and then the, I I, I yeah. totally appreciate that because it's a totally new world and a totally new yeah. experience for people. Yeah. So when you talk about community, for example, 
sometimes it's hard for people to imagine what that looks yeah. like yeah. because it's a very different um, setting. Yeah. And so um, I think that's trying to bridge that understanding. Yeah. Um, and but because I have that that experience for a year now, I can understand where yeah. those gaps are. So sometimes we talk and then we assume people understand us. Yeah. But you know that their experiences are completely different yeah. because I have the opportunity to experience something different. So I can, I realize that it's a yeah. totally new um, way of understanding things. What, what, are, what are some of the common misperceptions that you're encountering? One thing that's I that keeps coming up is, oh, isn't culture keeping girls in, isn't it the culture of the people that's yeah. keeping girls um, out yeah. of school, isn't it religion, isn't it? You yeah. know, so you have people thinking that <clears throat> it's, um, these are the issues that are keeping girls in school. Yeah. Um, and while my experience here tells me that, yes, um, that, things that need to evolve and yeah. the culture evolves and yeah. our cultures in Africa are also evolving. Yeah. But some of the real barriers are yeah. not necessarily cultural. Yeah. And I think... Um, Culture follows economics. If yes, I, I mean, exactly. to a certain extent, exactly. is that, that's the message exactly. that comes out of, out of your work. Exactly. Uh, now, of course, there are, you know, uh, cultural, cultural dimensions. That but, we need to, but if one, because I've seen cases where yeah. once you send in support, yeah. everything changes yeah. for the family. Yeah. A family that's going to marry off their child, the moment you say we would be sending, we would pay for the fees for this girl to go to school. That yeah. family just allows suddenly to the cultural uh, objections <laughs> just <laughs> disappear. So, yeah, yeah. So, the, the right incentives. Exactly. Can, so for yeah. me, I think that, um, and then the talk people are wondering, or oh, what the kind of resistance do you get from communities yeah. as you're trying to educate their children and all yeah. that? So, which I totally appreciate, but I think that um, yeah. having that experience i didn't think this would these would be issues yeah. that would come yeah. up but i i guess yeah. now that i have the opportunity to 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 experience this i yeah. know that no, it, it, it's it's interesting because it it i i often i often encounter what's interesting about this the story that you've shared is i often encounter similar views when people talk about about culture, they they tend to talk about it as if it's monolithic, exactly. and it, it's it's never you know it should never change. It's it's you know everyone's kind of preoccupied about you know preserving mm -hmm. culture. And and again, I'm not saying that you know that that there aren't elements you know uh, people's history, of mm -hmm. course, their you know their uh, artistic legacy. That, you know, all of these need to be um, mm -hmm. of course you know ma maintained and, and nurtured, but the, the idea that culture is unchanging is just, I mean, historically inaccurate. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We, we yeah. you know, things have changed so much mm -hmm. over over time. And in particularly, I, I would say the last, you know, 150 uh, to 100 years. Mm -hmm. um, and we should, you know, we should welcome, I think, mm -hmm. this idea that, that culture is not an, this immovable thing, but it, mm -hmm. you know, but it can change. We can become better yeah. yeah 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 and i think that's and um i think that's 
critical because um, you look at governments coming up with um, free access to secondary education yeah. across Africa in some countries, yeah. Tanzania and now Ghana. Um, that's never played a role. Culture yeah. was never a reason for which yeah. they felt that education shouldn't be accessible yeah. to everyone. Yeah. So I think that um, as things things evolve, sometimes, like we said, communities just out of the necessity yeah. of what needs to happen, they have to make certain choices. And sometimes it might be um, yeah. assumed that it's colored in their culture, but it's yeah. sometimes a necessity yeah. that pushes them to make certain decisions. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. So I, 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 I totally, you know, I, I buy into that. Um, I, I guess my, my argument is that even, even if there are cultural Thing. Barriers. Yeah. These these are not unchanging exactly. and immovable. Exactly. They can be changed with yeah. you know with the right incentives, with persuasion, with mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, uh, or just appeals to uh, common humanity and decency. I think you can you can get past some of some of these issues. Mm -hmm. um, what's your what's your favorite alumni story? From, from your experience? That's a hard one because yeah. it's like you're a mother hen and you're going to choose your yeah. favorite out of your children. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I think that um, for me, I've really been inspired by so many girls yeah. and so many stories. And we've had um, an entrepreneurship, we've had an entrepreneurship program and yeah. we've had young women who've started, um, a young woman, Aisha, for example, she started off with less than a hundred dollars and now she's employing over 200 people wow. with yeah. her business so yeah. that's so inspirational to know that despite the challenges the risks that she had to go through to start this business she's able to do something like that yeah. we've had young women who've completed school and um, we have one of our young women Sauda, who completed Ashesu university with a first class degree and wow. yeah, yeah she's now um working as um, a manager for an, um, a business incubation um, non-profit and yeah. helping other people start their businesses. Yeah. Um, we've had um, young... And I, I take pride in every single of thing course. that they achieve. Yeah. We've yeah. had some young women who um, completed nursing, um, for example... Um, who've completed nursing school, have started their own projects yeah. in their community, helping um, maternal health. Yeah. Um, and so it, it's really just amazing to see. And for some as well, it's just about completing school yeah. because of all the challenges that they go through. Uh, retention, our completion rate is 95% yeah. for secondary school. So um, to see that some of them are able just to navigate the daily hurdles yeah. and daily challenges yeah. and just complete school is amazing. Yeah. We had this um, document when you receive your support, which you sign and then you get your yeah. parents and guardians to sign. And we had, we had this surprise when we looked at this document the first time. And all the parents were thumbprinting. So none of the parents had been to school. So a lot of the girls in our program, they are the first generation to wow. ever go to school. Yeah. So for them, it's it's a personal challenge just to be able to even complete. Yeah. Where you you have that responsibility on your shoulder that 
you have to finish this for this family. You yeah. have to be able to do this for, for everyone. At the same time, have all those family issues and other issues you have to deal with back home. Yeah. So for, for me, I think it's just amazing to see them complete at a rate of 95%. Wow. Yeah. And um, no, really that's, that's amazing. Contribute back. Yeah, and 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 I think it, it, it's it's important, I suppose, to emphasize here that that your work and the work of CAMFED goes to a certain extent goes beyond just kind of school. I mean, you're you're. I, I imagine you're also you also have programs that are tackling uh, maternal health issues. Um, I, I suppose we talked about. Uh, teenage pregnancy mm -hmm. uh, out of wedlock, I imagine, mm -hmm. mo uh, more often than not, being an issue. These are also areas that you're you're trying to address. Is the, am I right in in saying that? Yes. So what it is is that um, most of our programming, which is education, but yeah. has all these elements to it: yeah. entrepreneurship, community engagement, yeah. um, public all health. that public health, all yeah. supported through. Um, our community work and our Kama alumni, yeah. um, our Kama network are the ones who have the lived experiences of a lot of the issues that the current girls are going through. Yeah. So they take on a lot of these um, advocacy issues yeah. and work on, on those. Comfort, um, Kama Ghana, for example, has for 2018 decided to focus on teenage pregnancy. Yeah. So across board, they're engaging communities on this. They're working with girls. Our life skills program all go around to support and ensure that girls understand their rights, their choices, mm -hmm. and can make the right decisions for themselves. Yeah. So um, our programming does encompass all these things. Yeah. And really about empowering women so that they can then be the ones to change the next generation. Yeah. And we're already seeing that through our Kama Network because um, last year, for example, the Kama members supported twice the number of students that Comfort supported. So wow. Comfort directly supported children, but Kama supported double that number. Wow, that's an incredible yes. so example of... The multiplier effect. The multiplier effect, effect yeah. Supporting yeah. girls. And they really are energized and really kind of going ahead as a movement in Africa yeah. to really change things and looking at advocacy, policy engagement, and actually practical support to communities. Yeah. And that's what Kama is doing. No, that's that's amazing. So what what are what are your plans or, or CAMFED's plans even for for uh, for for the future, for the next wave, if you will, of of uh, activity, where's the next multiplier going to come from? So for for us, we're really excited about Kama and where it is now, um, one hundred and twenty thousand strong, yeah. and we are looking at Kama really becoming the movement and the forefront, putting Kama at the forefront of our programming. Mm, yeah. um, we also have made a commitment to support one million girls um, by by 2019, and we are past the halfway, so we're currently around 750,000. Wow. And uh, hope and our aim is to be able to see this critical mass of young women 
really bring about the change that we want to see in, uh, in yeah. their communities and in their countries and actually on the continent. And yeah. we definitely see this as the way forward for Africa because having seen what Kama is doing and what Kama has done so far, we definitely believe that having a critical mass of young women yeah. go through education, it can be so empowering yeah. and it can be life changing for communities. You're, I mean, it, there's, there's, there's a lot of buzz, I would say, around the world now, a lot of excitement about Africa and, and development and, uh, and, and economic growth in Africa. Um, the skeptics would point out that, you know, we've been here before in the, you know, in the 60s and, 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 and 70s. Uh, now, you, you have a master's in development studies. And what would you say, first of all, are you optimistic about the continent? And, and if so, how would you answer the skeptics? What's, what's different about, about this, uh, this time? I think Africa at this point is at, um, at a point where we do have an opportunity. I think we do have the youth bulge and everybody's talking about that yeah. as our biggest asset. And yeah. I think that that's our, definitely our biggest asset. We, are, we have um, young people who have the potential. Yeah. Now our challenge is how we unleash that potential. And I yeah. think um, education is one way, an education that really is relevant to our context. Yeah. Something that works for Africa is what is needed. And I am very optimistic about it, about it, but we just need to find the right solutions and get it right. Yeah. We now have a lot of young people completing school. And the what's next is the question. And yeah. what's next? And we can't just keep um, looking for solutions elsewhere. Yeah. We need to start looking internally for our own solutions that yeah. would work for, for Africa. We can't just keep listening to um, what we need to do to our youth. We know mm -hmm. we have the youth here. We know what the opportunities are yeah. on this continent. Yeah. How do we kind of link up this um, huge opportunity of human resource, capacity, energy, and link it to what we have here yeah. to bring out what we can achieve? And I think that's the challenge. And we're listening to everything everywhere else. Mm -hmm. We're not really listening to ourselves and what we need yeah. to, to do. Are you are you seeing evidence that that governments are governments on the continent are beginning to to to, uh, to listen to people like you and uh, and others who are sort of deeply embedded within uh, within the, the the education system ecosystem here. Yes, I think they are listening. I think it's more about how we act on what we hear and yeah. make sure that that happens. I think it's, um, I think while our culture is teaching um, some, some ways of thinking that young people don't necessarily have to speak up or, and it's, I think now that we have this youth bulge, we need to listen more to the young people. The we young need people, to really yeah. engage them more. But um, in our African traditions, we listen to elders mm -hmm. and um, not so much to the young people. Yeah. And I think 
now that we have so many of them, we need to listen more to them. We need to engage them more. Yeah. We need to recognize how much potential that they have to contribute. And so, yes, they're listening to us as we speak, but I think it's usually about translating what you're hearing into um, action, into practice that becomes yeah. becomes the challenge. Um, for here. example, yeah. for some governments to take on um, free secondary education, yeah. I think it's an, um, a, a, an amazing step forward. Now, the challenge is that's equality for providing equal access. Yeah. But are we thinking about the equity aspect of it? How do we make sure that those communities or those places where they need that extra hand up to be able to access yeah. these opportunities do yeah. have those? Those are some of the questions we need yeah. to be talking. What's the quality? To what end do we want this free education? Yeah. To um, what do we wanted to contribute to our yeah. economies, and we need to start talking about those and looking at all those. Yeah, issues. and also how to assure quality. Exactly. As well, how to assure quality yeah. because we now have access. Yeah. How do we ensure that yeah. that creates quality and links up to the opportunities yeah. that we have for our continent? Yeah. yeah. No, that's that's uh, as you say, it's it's an exciting time. It is. There are. Uh, great opportunities, opportunities. also uh, still those significant challenges, challenges to overcome. Yeah. yeah, We don't have to miss those opportunities. We just really need to take a critical look at those opportunities and really tap into it whichever way yeah. we can. Yeah. Uh, Dolores, I want to I end by uh, asking you a question that I ask every, every guest on, uh, on Wise Words, and that's to reflect back on your, on your experience and what uh, uh, what you know, and and pick the one uh, most valuable lesson or or skill or or you know area of, of of knowledge that you you feel everyone should should be exposed to at at some point during their lives. And just to give you, okay. we've had a broad range of, of views on this. You know, from uh, uh, literature to you know uh, leadership and everything and in between, so to speak? I think one thing that I have learned is um, really listen and keep an open mind. And I think, for, for me, I think comfort, working with comfort has really helped me to not assume things and really keep an open mind and really be very open about what everybody's bringing and because mm -hmm. you recognize that everybody has something to contribute yeah. and the fact that people may, may not speak the same language or may not have um, the same resources that you have doesn't mean that they do not bring something to, yeah. to the table and i think really that experience of recognizing that means that you're able to pull in and learn and keep growing with every experience that you encounter, with every person that you encounter, with every situation that you encounter. You are able to learn something from it because you know that it's coming in to add something to you. Yeah. So I feel that for me, I think that's been one of the, the best experiences working through um, 
working with comfort particularly is what little children will teach you, what young people will teach you, what adults will teach you, what rural people will teach you, what urban people will teach you. And I think every encounter is a learning experience. And so for me, that's... Absolutely. Dolores Dixon, thank you for your wise words. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Wise Words podcast and want to find out more about our guests and their work, as well as discover what else we do at Wise, you can visit us at www.wise-qatar.org backslash wise-words. And if you want to continue the discussion, compliment or critique us, you can find us on Twitter at wise underscore tweets or at wise underscore CEO, hashtag wise pod. We would also appreciate reviews on iTunes because it helps other people find us.